0: All right. I have a <clears throat> great appreciation for uh, Pastor Mike, Pastor Ben, Mike Bongo, those guys who come up here and do this week in and week out. Uh, I was talking to a buddy out front there before the service, and I was like, oh man, good to see you. And he said, oh yeah, well, you know, we figured we'd come to this one because you probably figured it all out by now, it's the third time. <laughs> I'm not so sure of that, but uh, but uh, I know that I, I'm whooped, so uh, I'm thankful for our, our our, uh, folks here who put all this time in and, uh, so that we can um, be ushered into uh, the presence of the Lord and worship Him and glorify Him. And that's the hope of what uh, my time here this morning is. In fact, <clears throat> throughout my preparation, I continue to be reminded what it's all about. It's, you know, what we're all about, what God's creation is all about. Worshiping Him, the Creator, um, the One who is above all, a name that is above all name. And so um, in, in that, I, I just kind of was finding some scriptures in the Psalms that really resonated with me, and I hope they resonate with you to get us continually, uh, to continue from our time of, of singing and worship into our hearts prepared for his word, that you just sit and listen and bask in, in what the psalmist wrote as the glory of God. As we get started here, I want to just read some, some scripture that was impactful to me. And I hope that it prepares your heart as well. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. That that keeps on beckoning, beckoning me to repeat that. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end, of the end of the world. And in them he has set a tent for his son, for the son, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. The voice of the Lord is over the waters the God of glory thunders, the Lord of over many waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father, you are God of all. We humbly come to you this morning and we ask that you would do your work in our hearts, that you would transform and renew our minds by your word. That we would be able to walk in the freedom of Christ and bring the glory that is due to only you. Lord, help us to be like-minded with you as your spirit works in this place. We love you, Lord. I pray that you would take my my frailty and my weakness as you have worked in my heart in preparation to bring this word to these people here this morning. I pray that you would be made strong in this weakness, in this weak vessel, and that your word would prevail and do its job as it's designed to move lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We could just end right there. but uh, So we, we have a, a three-week kind of sermon series leading up to our grand opening of our new building here or a building extension. <clears throat> and um, that is right here on the, on the screen, the basics of the gospel. And so it's three parts. I have the, the wonderful part of talking about creation, and also the second part to that is the fall. So that's not so wonderful, but we'll, we'll get through it because we know that there's hope at the end through Jesus. But And then Pastor Ben will come next week, and he'll, he'll talk to us and, and um, wrestle with the... the, 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 the um, the doctrine of redemption and restoration that comes uh, through Christ. And that's exciting to look forward to that. And then in a, a, the uh, third week, Mike Bongo will come and he will talk about us as the church, as the believers, how we are to go into the world and, and how we to um, present this wonderful gospel, this good news of God to all the earth so that people might be redeemed and restored and reconciled to him. So it sounds like it's a pretty fun couple of weeks Um, as we lead up to a a fun week of uh, the grand opening, and Pastor Mike, as James said, has been anticipating that and looking forward to that as well. So my assignment is the creation and the fall as it pertains to the gospel. So it's exciting, and it's also kind of scary at the same time as we look at the fall, and we have to deal with the truth of sin and what it does. So um we're going to, uh, your bulletins will say that our, our scripture is Genesis 2, 4 through 7, and uh, 15 through 25. Um, we're going to just read together uh, chapter 2, verse 15 through 25 this morning, and, and I'm just going to let you know, we're going to be working through chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, so we're kind of jumping into the middle, and then we're going to work back from there, if that makes sense, as to, um, you know, how we are going to tackle This account of creation and the fall, and then, of course, what's to come through the redemption of Christ. So, if you will, please turn with me. We don't have any slides this morning. We did, but I am a little old school, and I like to hear pages turning every once in a while. So, um, if you have a Bible, if you don't, there's one in the the, uh, aisles there. And uh, you might have a phone app or something like that, which is kind of cool, new school stuff. We can do that. Um, Just open up to, to Genesis Chapter 2, and we're going to start in in verse 15 um, and go from there. So let's uh, stand with me if you can, if you're able, as we read God's Word together. Chapter 2, verse 15 in the book of Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock because she was taken out of man. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, you guys can be seated. <clears throat> so my hope is uh, for this, this portion of Scripture here that we're looking at, to, uh, it will give us a, a good perspective of God's specific provision, plan, and design for, for mankind. Um, I hope it will give us, uh, to, to, to challenge us to grow in understanding of how we are designed and set apart to worship and glorify Him and Him alone. And I know that it will be a backdrop for us to understand how far we have uh, we have strayed from His design, from His provision, and His design for our lives. So, um, as we go, let's, uh, let's backtrack now to chapter one in the book of Genesis. And, um, we're not going to read it, but I'm going to highlight some, some verses here that give us a good perspective. But I want to be very clear and I, I the hope was the, the beginning portion before we pray would, would help our hearts and our minds understand how glorious God is because he is the God who brought all of this Everything out of nothing. He spoke and it was. I, all my life, have tried to figure a way to describe that. And unfortunately, the Lord didn't drop something into my mind to be able to describe it to you clearly today. But the bottom line is that God is the God of all. He made it all. He spoke it into existence. He designed it for his glory. He is the God of all. It's the best way to explain it as I can think of. So when we when we think about that, that there would be nothing without Him, and now there is, we exist because of Him. We un, we need to understand the magnitude of His authority in our life, that He is the Author. So in chapter one, we see that very clearly when it says that God created um, heavens and the earth, and we also see. I want to highlight that everything God created, we see along the way. He said, and God saw that it was good. It's important for for, for God to show us that through the pen of Moses as he wrote this, that God saw that it was good. So verse 4, we see that God saw that the light that he created was good. In verse 10, God called the dry land, earth, and the waters were gathered together into seas. And he called them seas, and God saw that it was good. In verse 12, he creates, he creates the vegetation, and he speaks it into existence. And plants will yield seed, according to, each according to their kind. And trees yield fruit, each according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. In verse 18, he, we see this, the sun and the moon, the lights that would separate the day and the night. And God saw that it was good. In verse 21, every creature in the sea, according to its kind, and every winged bird, according to its kind... God saw that it was good. In verse 25, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth, all according to their kind were created, and God saw that it was good. You're picking up on the theme? That what God does is good. What God speaks is good. What God creates is good. God's design is good. We were designed for God's good. Understand? Understand? So we see this, I, I want us to focus now on how man is set apart, unique in all of creation as we see through the, uh, through the word here. In verse 26, we're, I'm going to read it here, the verse 28 and then we'll drop down to verse 31 in chapter 1 of Genesis. The Bible says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Verse 31, he says, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So, that last day before he took a day of rest on the seventh day, he looked upon his creation. He saw the birds and the and the and the creeping creatures and the beasts of the field and the and the and the seas teeming with sea creatures and the trees and the vegetation giving fruit and seed and food. And he saw a man that was created in his own image, and he said it was very, very good. Isn't that exciting? Don't we kind of wish that the story would just stop there and we could just bask in the glory of... I mean, I do sometimes. I just think of the craziness of life and the chaos and and how things get so out of hand. And Man, what if we went back there? What would that be like, you know? But we see here that that man is set apart. He's created in God's image. And that's where we came to our our passage in chapter 2. And we see the specific design and the the, uh, the order that God created things to be. See, uh, there's a book that I was given a long time ago by a friend when my boys were, were younger, and it was a, a book that would kind of help as I was uh, as I'm beginning to raise them and trying to raise them as godly men. And um, It was called uh, Raising a Modern Day Knight. You may have heard of it. It's written by uh, Robert Lewis. And there's three points in there that kind of a basis that I picked up on um, that we get from this text here. God gives man uh, a work to do. He gives him a work to do. He gives him a will to obey. And we see here, he gives him a woman to love. He gives him companionship. Those he can walk alongside of for his glory. And so, You know, I see that, and we're going to pick that out here in a minute, but I I thought that was appropriate for this morning as we looked, that God didn't just drop man or pick him up in the dust and make him in and just say, hey, man, figure it out. Be careful in the sea. it can get a little rough. You know, you might might want to learn how to swim. He, He didn't just drop him in there and say, no, no, he provided. We see he provides the garden for him. See, God is a loving God, and he shows it here right from the outset. He's a powerful, almighty God. But he's a loving God as well. And he provides this garden, this plush garden where man could live and thrive and and have companionship and and walk in communion with with those those creatures in creation and and enjoy what God had given. And also walk in communion with God. So God is a loving God. We see that. And he doesn't only just drop them in there and say, figure it out. He gives them a work to do. Look, verse 15, we see it again, verse chapter 2. Verse 15, he says, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So we have work to do right here. He gives him a work to do, something that he can kind of have ownership over, that he can he can take pride in that work, so that he when he brings it to the glory, brings it to the Lord, he can the Lord is glorified through through man fulfilling the work that he had given him to do. So we see that, that God has, has given him something to sink his teeth into, something to be responsible for, something to hold as his own as he brings before the Lord with, with, to, for the Lord's pre- pleasure and his glory. And we see here in verse 16 and 17 that he gives him a will to obey. He says, and Lord, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat, of it, you shall surely die. So God is very clear that He is to be obeyed. He gives Him an instruction. Just one rule. He says, Hey, stay in here, work this, and you know, keep the garden, take care of it, steward it. That'll bring me glory. And you know what else will bring me glory? Is that if you obey my word. So here's my word. You can eat of anything you would like, the tree of life and all the other trees, but just don't eat of that tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he gives them a will to obey. He gives us a will to obey. It's very clear at the outset. And then finally, we see that he gives them a woman to love. It says that they were naked and unashamed. They were walking in complete, I don't even know, perfection, essentially. There was nothing wrong. There was no shame. There was no need to cover up. There was no need to to look away. There was just full union. And God gives us companionship. He gives us those that we can walk alongside in the church now all these years later. He gives gives us a wife, a, a woman to love. But as a church, we are the bride of Christ and we are to walk in companionship. So he gives us relationship you see that so we have a work to do a will to obey and see this is the unique the uniqueness of mankind that god has designed in order that we would fulfill our calling to steward what he has given us in creation all right so now here comes the fun part let's leaf over to chapter three and we see what happens when a crafty little bugger whispers in our ear. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now remember, everything is perfect in the garden. Everything is functioning as God has planned. And God is receiving all the glory. So number, number 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "'Where are you?' And he said, "'I heard the sound of you in the garden, "'and I was afraid because I was naked, "'and I hid myself.' And he, the Lord God, said, "'Who told you that you were naked? "'Have you eaten of the tree "'of which I commanded you not to eat?' The man said, "'The woman whom you gave me to be with, "'well, she gave me the fruit of the tree, "'and then I ate.' Then the Lord God said to the woman, "'What is this you have done?' And the woman said, uh, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And so it begins. The blame game, right? The devil made me do it. See, we see here in a place of full and uh, unfathomable harmony the likes which we've never seen. Creation as it was designed was now disrupted where there was a place of no shame there now was shame no guilt now there was guilt sin had entered the garden sin had entered the world through mankind and it disrupted the order in which God had created it to be so we see Let's look at the serpent's crafty, or as King James says, subtle uh, a way of attacking uh, or approaching the woman and causing her to be tempted, and then eventually she convinces herself to go ahead and take and buy into the lie. See, what happens is Satan is the serpent here, and I think we can relate, it kind of starts with a question. And here we see it does start with a question. He says very clearly here, he says, oh, where is it? Chapter 3. He says, you will not surely die. In fact, he says in verse 2, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And so it causes Eve, it causes us when he whispers in our ear a question or when something pops up and grabs our attention that's not of God, it starts to cause us to have that cartoonish question bubble that pops up. You know what I mean? The boom, and then a thought pops up. And then all of a sudden it engages our mind for that which is not necessarily from the Lord. So Satan attacks or he approaches subtly, it says here, craftily. So it's not like he comes in abrasively and just knocks the door down. Sometimes he might do, but in this case, we see it's very subtle. It begins in the mind. It begins with a question of what God had commanded. It begins with, hmm, well, maybe he didn't really mean that I couldn't. So then she starts to negotiate with herself and starts to defend what God had said. And in fact, we see that she actually adds to what God had commanded. We see that as she's talking with the serpent, she says, well, no, no, we can't, we can't not only uh, um, uh, partake of the tree, we can't eat of the tree, but God said, don't even touch it. Well, I don't know if you remember from what we were just reading, but he never said to to Adam not to touch it. He just said, do not partake of it. Do not eat of the tree. (laughs) You remember that? But like Eve, we kind of add things as we rationalize back and forth. Well, man, that seems kind of harsh. Why can't I even touch it? You know, who knows what was going on in her mind? But the bottom line is sin began to tempt her and it started in her mind. And if you're anything like me or Mother Eve here, you can relate. It's just a thought. Can pop up. In fact, my wife is here this morning. This morning in this service, so I use this as an example. I only hope that um, I don't have to uh, uh, have a conversation about it later. <laughs> but um, it's, it's it's like when you're coming to church in the morning, or um, you're you're driving to church, and and you know you're having a conversation about how you might be late. Or, or something like that. And then, you know, it just, you're just having that conversation. I'm not gonna get into details of how that might affect your mind as you're driving and just trying to get to your destination. But then you start thinking like, oh my, are you kidding me right now? Like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing here, take the family to the room and bap, 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 you know, and the whole thing, and, and so, oh boy. <laughs> We're gonna have another conversation later. I'm not even gonna look over in that direction but you understand what happens, right? you would be like, all right, you no, know, it's good. Or when you're going to work and you leave the home after a conversation with maybe a child or, or your spouse or, or a friend or whatever, and, and you start to think like, okay, you leave, and you're like, hey, okay, love you, love you, and you get in the car and you're like, wait a minute. When she said that, I was like, what? And then, it, oh, I know what she's, hmm, maybe i just call. No, I'm just going to, no, I'm going to. And then you see, you have that. It, it's a wrestling match it goes on in your mind and the enemy's there and he's like he's causing what he's trying to cause a division between that which God had caused for union mm-hmm. and see so we see the same thing in the in the garden here with Eve everything was perfect it was good it was good it was very good but here he comes and he whispers Really? Is that really what God meant? And then she starts to have that conversation. And the scary thing is is that we see that her man, Adam, is with her. And he was the one who was originally given the instruction. And that's a completely different sermon at a different time. But we see sin. And it comes in. And the temptation comes in. And in temptation, I I, I listened to a pastor preach um, from time to time out of Philadelphia for years. I've been listening to him. And, uh, you know, he always says, the heart will make a convert of the mind. So we see here we have the lust. Satan attacks the lust of the flesh. It it seems like it's something that will be good to eat. It's, It's our body. It's something that we could consume. It's good. We see the lust of the eye, something that is... Uh, uh, it, looks, it looks nice and, and, and attractive to the eye. And then we have the pride of life that he attacks, right? Something that will make us wise like God. It will, it will puff us up. It will make us God-like. And see, when I say that a heart will make a convert of the mind, it starts with the thought process because Satan knows that the mind is what makes the decision as to what the body does. And the body is craving this. Innately we are ever since this fall. We're craving the desires of the flesh. We're craving, we're craving that which is not of God that, that is appealing to the eye. And the heart, if you continue to wrestle, if you continue to, to argue with your mind or, or, or make sense of it and let it, let it resonate and not put it out, not flee from it like Joseph did with Potter's wife. He ran out of the room. He got away from it. If you keep wrestling with it and, and flirting with it and allowing it to stew and allowing it to... Eventually, the heart will convert the mind and the mind will decide then to indulge in the flesh in the fruit of that which God did not give us to, eat, to partake of. And what do we know from this? It brings forth shame. It makes me realize that, oh boy... I'm no longer under the protection of God Almighty in this moment. I'm uncovered. I'm exposed. Shame has set in. Pretty bad effect of sin. So we see that happen, instant shame. And then we see, of course, you know, hey, uh, this, is, this is a good one. When, when God came to Adam, he said, what are you doing? What happened? And Adam said, well, the woman that you gave me, she, she made me do it. Right? So not only is he pointing the finger, remember, God gave him the command. He's pointing the finger while he was watching this temptation take, take shape. He was shirking his responsibility to be one with his wife and protecting her. And then he points to God and says, well, you gave me this woman. Again, I know that it's not popular, but I can resonate with that. When I'm driving in the car, this woman, yeah, she, hey, she's the one that made me. No, no, she didn't make me do it. The devil didn't make me do it. I decided to eat the fruit of division in that relationship, and thus my relationship with God. You see how that works? Man. Remember back when we just read that everything was good? <laughs> everything was good. It was very good. They were running around naked and they didn't even know it. Everything was great. No shame. Everything was perfect. Just how God designed. And sin enters in and then we see the effects of the fall, the significance of the fall in our next point here. So we see their shame. Now we see automatically in the garden God is a just God. He says, you will surely die if you eat of that fruit. So in order for God to be God and and God to be glorious and God to be who he is, he has to have wrath. He has to be just. He has to say what he means and means what he says. Does that make sense? So therefore, he kicks them out of the garden. In fact, he protects the tree of life with an angel that they can't partake of. The devastation that happens with one decision to cave to the flesh has destroyed the opportunity to live in complete harmony on earth again until, and we'll get to that. So we see that devastation. We see that woman will have uh, uh, pain in her childbearing. I'm sure many here can attest to that. I've seen it. It's painful. I don't know what it's like to experience, but I can only imagine. Uh, uh, We see that that she has the desire over her husband to rule over him. So we have a disruption in the the order and in the the, the unity that is meant to be between people, between man and wife. And then we see a man, he's kicked out of the garden as well, and, and he has to... He has to deal with the soil now. But the soil's not like it was in the garden. The soil's rough and rocky and he's got to figure out a way to deal with it. And in blood, sweat, and tears, he's got to labor. It becomes, work doesn't become a a wonderful thing and just God bringing fruit and and just taking care of it and keeping it as he was given in the garden, but he has to work for it. Blood, sweat, and tears. And then we see Satan's, uh, get get his, uh, his punishment too that will actually bring us hope as we see that in a little bit later. So in the garden, we see this disruption. We see the actual in place, what happens with them. And we see God's order completely disrupted. So we have God and he has creation and he has man. And he has given man, you know, dominion over creation. Now God's still over creation, but he's given man the unique place to be uh, in Dominion and, and to, to, to subdue the earth and to rule it. So what happens when sin comes in, it completely flips all that around. We'll read here in a second out of Romans, but we see that man gave up his rightful place, his inheritance to steward and, and rule the, world, the earth. And he became subject to creation itself by taking the fruit, by listening to the serpent. Sin disrupted all of that. God's still in control, though. All right, so let's look at the book of Romans here. Romans chapter 1. If you'll turn there, if you have a Bible. Romans chapter 1. Paul gives us some good insight here uh, as to the significance of the fall and the implications and the effect of sin on all of mankind. Fast forwarded here toward the, toward the um, early century here in, in the book of Romans. to to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now Paul painfully gives this word. We know that because at the end of that, he can't help but see the debauchery and the, the horrid ramifications of sin that he's explaining that man traded and started to serve and worship the creature rather than the creator. So we hear him finish that section with the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That is a reminder to us who understand that God should receive our worship. God is the one who gets all the glory. But in our flesh, we are desiring that which will cause us to take him off his throne, get on his throne, and worship that which whatever we want to put in his place. Sin. I don't know how to express to you how devastating that really is in the grand scope of all eternity. Because right here it's spelled out in this word that there has to be a penalty And that penalty is death, not just a physical death that would come eventually to Adam and Eve, but a spiritual death. And what does a spiritual death gain? Eternally dead in sin. And what do we know about sin? It brings forth shame. It brings forth nakedness, knowing that you are exposed It brings forth an eternal flame of death. That's the fruit of a life given to it, in a life submitted to sin. But we know that we have a hope. But Paul is is explaining to us with passion that this is the ramification of what happened so long ago and this is how it's perpetuated and continued throughout all of history. And we see it today as we see the decay of our society. We see the decay throughout the world of morality and, 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 and lifting up creation, lifting up creature rather than the God of creation. You want to talk about divisive? We don't have to go far to find that. The history of all the world throughout all nations has been divisive. You see the ramification of sin? You see, you don't just sin unto yourself. It's not just you and the devil working this thing out with God on the sideline waiting to see what you decide. God's order will not be denied for all eternity. And when I choose to indulge the flesh and lay down and decide to take of that fruit, it affects my wife. It affects my kids. It affects my friends. It affects my brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, it affects all of creation. We see there's a ramification. In fact, we see that in chapter 8 of Romans. Paul talks about how it affects creation here in verse, uh, chapter 8, Romans verse 20 and 21. He says, for the creation was subjected to, the, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. So we understand that creation itself is bound because of sin, because of corruption, because of evil that was allowed to come in and rule and go haywire. Now, let's get to our fourth point. Our fourth point has everything to do back in the garden after the fall, God is very, very gracious and loving as he gives us this word that he gives to the serpent, the curse that he puts on him. Let's read it here, chapter 3 of Genesis, verses 14 and 15. See, this is where we can find our hope. This is where we can find the fact that there is a way to be made right again with God. So let's read this here. Verse 14, chapter 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are are you above all livestock, and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat. All the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring. And her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, in my flesh, I think, yeah, devil's getting what he gets. I'm going to eat the dust. That's That's where he belongs, right? No, that's how I think. Um... But really, what we find here is the treasure of what they call, the scholars call, a proto evangelium. It is the first announcement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right there in the beginning. Right there in the garden where everything was made for good. A loving God lays out and gives the proclamation through the penalty to the one who brought sin in, the serpent, for man to hear and know that he will bring a redeemer. Amen? See, there's an image that I keep thinking about when I think of this and it's it's an artistic image that in that movie The Passion of the Christ years ago, Jesus is is wrestling it out in sweat and sweating blood in the garden because he knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's going to be beaten and brutalized and put on the cross. And, and the whole movie's about the passion of Christ, how he endured the suffering. He endured the cross for the, sake of our, for, for the sake of our lives to be set free in him to the glory of God, of course. But we see him come up from this agonizing prayer, if you've seen the movie, and there's a snake in the garden and it's kind of all around him. We get the feeling that he's being, he's being, his, his flesh is being attacked to, to, to maybe take another way out, right? And we get that from the scripture too. That it's so intense. And then the, the, the makers of the film, you know, they put this artistic thing in there and the snake comes in and I don't know if it really happened that way. It, it doesn't matter. But it's the image that he stands up, resolved to glorify his father in heaven and take the course that he had given him, the work that he gave him to do. To do to set man free. And he stomps on the head of the snake. And all I can think about is praise God Almighty for that. That I am a victim, in fact, enslaved to this sin that my ancestors and your ancestors gave to us through their weakness through their desire to indulge the flesh that we have innately, but God made a way for me to be completely reconciled and restored to newness of life with him on the throne alone and me at his feet, humbly serving through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? So I have a big note here. It says Jesus pretty much the last point and always will be because we read in the scripture earlier that he was the first and he is the last he's always been so our hope is found in him and I hope that your hope is found in him But I want you to understand clearly, this is a story that we've heard, everybody in here has probably heard, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, of creation and sin and all this stuff. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about our hearts being made right before an almighty creator God who created everything for good. And it's about how we deviated from that and how we took the bait. We made the decision to turn our turn our backs on God. But it's about him making a way for us to be able to turn our backs on sin and repent through Christ and the power that comes with Christ and the righteousness of Christ and be able to be made right with him again. What a story. What a way to kick off the basis of, basics of the gospel. Because God is faithful, he is a loving God, he is a just God, and he is a righteous God. He will bring justice, but he will give mercy to those who will come to him surrendered. I have to say this because it's Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) After this evening, my Eagles will no longer be the Super Bowl champions, unless some miracle of retroactive stuff goes into place. So I hope that the Eagles will rebuild and do what they need to do in the management and they'll do what they have to do because I'm a, I'm a fan, I've always been. But let me tell you something, that hope is just, it's really futile. I got nothing to say about it. I can decide whether I want to give them my money and go to a game or whatever, but the bottom line is it's just, it's, it's not sure of what the outcome will be. But our hope today through the mighty word of God, is secure. Our hope in Christ is secure. We know that our inheritance is pure and undefiled, and it faded not away. we, We have hope completely in that, because Christ is King who will reign supreme. We've read it, we've seen it, and we can be excited about it. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would continue to do your work in our hearts in this moment. I pray that the magnitude of the filth of sin will penetrate in the hearts of the believers in this room that we will understand our need to continually, daily surrender to your will, to your work, that we will come to you humbly and keep short accounts as our mind is continued to be tempted and our flesh is continuing to be drawn to sin, Lord, that we know that we know that our hope is building Christ, and that we will cling to Him with all we have, even when we're weak and we struggle. Lord, may we keep short accounts. Lord, work in our hearts that we know that that's something we need to battle every day. And I pray for you for the for the hearts of the people who don't know you. Here, I pray that they would see the magnitude of sin and what it does to divide and destroy and bring nothing but death. That they would see that you made a way. Thank you, Lord, for Christ. Now, Lord, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen.